You're listening to audio from Redemption Story Church. If you'd like to check out other resources or learn more about Redemption Story Church, visit our website at redemptionstory.com. Well, Merry Christmas. Yes, Christmas Eve. Um, well, I would like you, uh, I would invite you to grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the pew back in front of you. I would uh, love for you to just go ahead and grab that and turn with me there and follow along uh, as we look at Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. If you're using one of the Bibles in the seat in front of you, you'll find that on page 974. And as I said, I'm going to begin reading in chapter 4, verse 4. It says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your eternal and holy word. Thank you for the gift of Christ Jesus. And Lord, that you sent your son, that you gave him as the sacrifice for our sins, that we might be set free. May you receive all of the glory tonight. In Christ we pray. Amen. Often around Christmas, we are asking ourselves the question, why did Christ come? I think here in Galatians chapter 4, Paul shows us the very answer to that question, simply that Christ has come to set us free. The long answer to that would be something like this. Christ came to give you a Trinitarian welcome out of slavery and into the freedom of the family of God. That Christ has offered to us the welcome of the love and fellowship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, if we're going to understand this more fully, we need to ask ourselves, what is this slavery? Now, in the book of Galatians, Paul speaks about slavery in many different ways. He speaks about slavery to the law. And slavery to what he says in verse 3, these elemental or elementary principles, which I kind of struggle to even know what that means necessarily, but I think in some ways it speaks about pagan religion and the religion of the Jews during that time, this kind of overemphasis on the law. But I think it's even way more than that. It's this slavery to even the elementary principles of ourselves, our own selfishness, and ultimately sin. See, the rest of the Bible would speak about our slavery in that way as well. Slavery to sin is ultimately what happened in Genesis chapter 3 when humanity rebelled against God. I think a way to think about this is to think about them 
choosing slavery because it looked like freedom to them. Can you imagine something like that happened? They were free under the reign and rule and authority of God. He had given them everything in this world to enjoy. He just gave them one rule. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But that rule to them looked like slavery. And so in wanting to push off the chains of their bondage, they rebelled against God by doing the very thing that God had told them not to. In a sense, they chose slavery thinking or believing that it was freedom. Brothers and sisters, we know that that's what sin is. That's what rebellion against God is. Does sin provide freedom? Do the things of this life that I pursue, hoping that it will fulfill and satisfy me, do they ultimately offer the freedom that I so desire. No, they never do. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus says, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So this bondage that humanity was under was their bondage to sin. Now a good way to think about this maybe is to think about my rules as a father. Is I put rules on my children Am I doing that in order to enslave them? No, I hope you don't believe that of me. But ultimately, yes, my rules in some ways bind them. But they bind them for the purpose of giving them a greater freedom. Think about this even in the way that uh, Abby speaks to our daughter about bedtime. Bedtime feels like bondage to our children. And yet she speaks about it in a way in which she points them to the greater freedom that bedtime gives them. If they will but sleep now and choose to sleep on their own, then tomorrow they can enjoy all of the things that we have before us. What looks like slavery to them is actually a greater freedom, but choosing to put off bedtime would only put all of us in bondage. To an angry toddler, of which no one wants that. And so in the same way, what we saw in humanity's sin is that they chose slavery thinking that it was freedom. But God sent his son to provide true freedom. And what does Paul say here in the text? He says, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. If we remove just those two next phrases, the kind of parenthetical phrases there, born of a woman, born under the law, and just see what this sentence is trying to say, we see what God the Father has done. God sent his son to redeem. That's what God the Father has done. Now, there's two specific ways in which it speaks about the reason that God sent his son. The second is uh, what is mentioned in the last part of this word, this verse, to make other sons. God sent his son to make other sons and daughters. You can see this in some ways in John 8, 36. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen. God sent his son to make other sons and daughters. That's the good news. 
But the hard news of that is actually what it says in the first part of that verse. He sent his sons to redeem those who were under the law. What does that mean? That word redeem is is essentially the word to purchase. God sent his son to purchase or to buy back other sons and daughters. There's good news even in that when you think about the context of slavery that Paul's talking about here and our slavery to sin. God sent his son as the price to be paid to turn slaves into sons and daughters. Amen. Galatians 3.13 speaks about the true cost of what Christ paid. Listen to Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That means that the father in sending his son as the price for turning all of those who trust in him by faith into sons and daughters of God from slaves means that he had to give his very own son. The weight and the effect of that very thing won't really be understood until we really get into what Christ has done in this. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, it is said here, was born of a woman and born under the law. This is something that we speak about a lot at Christmas time. That Christ was born of Mary. He was born of the, vir- of the virgin. He was born of a woman. We speak of Jesus being son of God and son of man. He was fully God and fully man. And yet I think that phrase, born of woman, speaks to even more than just that, God's na- or Christ's nature. I think it speaks again to the whole story of God and what God was doing in this very thing. You see, the first part of this verse, in starting out with, in the fullness of time. It's pointing us to what this is really saying about what Jesus came to do. Jesus came in the fullness of time, born of a woman, but particularly born according to the promise that God had set long ago. That through the offspring of a woman would come the one who would set us free. You see, Jesus is that one born of a woman. Yes, in the sense that he was of the virgin birth. Yes, in the sense that he is fully man. But even more than that, he is the answer to what was spoken long ago. And in the fullness of time, Christ came. But not just born of a woman. Christ was also born under the law. And we can read this very plainly or simply in the sense that he was of Israelite heritage. He had the law of God and he was under it. Yet I think we do well to see the real nature of what's happening here. That word under is a very negative word that he was born under the law. That in some way, Jesus set himself up or down, if you will, to be in subjection to the very law itself. Now ask yourself the question, did Jesus need the rules of God in order to love and obey God? Like my children need my rules in order to enter into more freedom. No, they don't know Jesus didn't. As a matter of fact, Psalm 40 verse 8 says that it was his delight to do the will of God. 
So why in the world would Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, subject himself to rules or to laws that were made to lead or to guide obedience? Brothers and sisters, we see exactly why that is later on. That Jesus subjected himself to the law of God to, yes, show us the way and the path to God through obedience in some way. But even more than that, beloved, he subjected himself to the law of God that he might, in other places of Scripture, fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. Jesus fully obeyed the law. He did everything that the law required. He was perfectly holy, perfectly good, perfectly righteous in everything that he did. Lo Jesus, meek and mild and incredibly holy. And that's who Jesus was. In every way, he was under the law and he was obedient to it. He delighted to do the will of God. So why in the world would someone like that submit himself under the law itself? Brothers and sisters, what we see is the other half of this whole idea. That humanity in their first sin chose slavery thinking that it was freedom. But Jesus chose what looked like slavery to us to show us the ultimate freedom of the children of God. You see, when we speak about Jesus being born of Mary, when we speak about Jesus being born in a stable, Brothers and sisters, I don't know who else needed to, to be told this, but did you know that, that that was still an uncommon thing in the first century to be born in a stable? I don't know why, but I think at one point in my life, I just thought, well, I guess that was just what they did. Obviously, they didn't have hospitals, but it was strange to them too for a child to be born in a stable. The stable owner or the farmer, whoever it was, wasn't going around going, yep, that's the third one this week. No, it was odd to them as well. Why? Because, because Jesus was showing us something about humility and meekness and subjection and obedience to God. You see, the very picture that I'm trying to show us is what uh, often people have said, that Christ was made low. To raise us up. Now, there's so many of these in this passage of scripture that we can see. Jesus became a slave to make us sons. I'm gonna have to read all the ones that I have. He took on the curse so that we might be blessed. He was born to our family so that we might be raised up to him. He chose humility and weakness so that we could be prideful. No. He chose humility and weakness because he was showing us what true freedom actually looks like. He chose to be made low to show us where true freedom and glory is found. Brothers and sisters, sin itself, that turning from freedom to slavery, was in essence the selfishness of humanity pouring itself out, choosing their own desires, choosing their own path, Choosing their own authority. And everything that Christ did in the incarnation 
was laying his life down in self-sacrifice to show us what true freedom and greatness is. Now think about that again in terms of the father. The father, yes, gave his son up to death. The father gave his son up. But in, in, a, in a way, the father made his son low, the obedient son, to show the path for all of us disobedient sons to be welcomed back into his family. Christ fulfilled every aspect of our need in our slavery in sin to set us free. And here's kind of the final encouragement of this passage of Scripture. So that what we see in verse 6, it says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. What do we see there? We see the work of the final person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And what is it that he is doing here in this passage of Scripture? He is, in many ways, turning our hearts to, number one, see what true freedom is and to long for it and desire it with all of our hearts. True freedom is knowing the Father and living our lives for him and desiring freedom is the cry of all true believers, Abba, Father. Brothers and sisters, even as I give my daughter these laws or these rules, these things to in some ways bind her, my hope and joy would one day be if she should ever choose to obey me of her own will and desire. I don't know if it'll ever happen. But I'm trusting that one day her heart will turn in the way that she sees me to want to do what I ask of her. Brothers and sisters, the Spirit of God in our hearts turns our very hearts to long for and desire the things of God. And so all of a sudden, being made low really does look like up. Being submitted to the Father's will really does look like freedom. And ultimately, it is in those things that the family relationship of the people of God gets poured out upon us and the final part of this passage becomes true. We receive the adoption as sons and daughters of God. Brothers and sisters, Christ came to give us that, that invitation that invitation in his miraculous birth, in his perfect life, in his sacrificial death, and ultimately in his glorious re resurrection, that you and I might be a part of the Trinitarian relationship of the family of God. Amen. Would you trust in him by faith? Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of your son, that as Paul says in another part in Romans, whom you set forth as the propitiation for sin. God, the miracle 
of the incarnation and the crucifixion together is that you sent your very own son to make us sons and daughters by faith. God, would we see in you the beauty and glory of who you are as the good father and trust in your son, Jesus Christ, by faith. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.